Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Sort of an emergency podcast today. Something we knew that was going to happen. Bill O'Brien has been hired as the Patriots offensive coordinator. Joining us now to break that down, it is Doug Kide from the Pat's Chat Podcast. Doug, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. I'm doing a lot better that, Doug, now the Patriots, they actually have this thing. It's called the Professional Offensive <laughs> Coordinator. So I'm just relieved. Like We all knew everything was pointing this way, even though they interviewed a bunch of different people. But it does sort of seem like, all right, you're getting back to being a real NFL team again and no more of this experiment with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And heading into the season last year, it was like, well, is it going to be Patricia? Is it going to be Joe Judge? Is it possibly going to be Nick Cayley? You have a young quarterback that you're grooming. You're hoping that he's the guy for the next decade or so. We'll see. Time will tell. But the fact that they actually know who the play caller is going to be at this moment, it's just a relief for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just an automatic upgrade for the Patriots offense. And and there's certainly some grubs to be made with Bill O'Brien as a play caller, you know, throughout his tenure with the Houston Texans, everything like that. But just purely the that that upgrade from not having an offensive coordinator by having a, a defensive coordinator and a special teams coach, and I guess Bill Bill Belichick as well, running your offense to now having a proven offensive coordinator who's not only been with the Patriots, has been a head coach, has been in the college ranks. Like this, this just upgrades that offense from 
whatever it was last year. I think it was 24th in EPA per play back to being what should be a respectable unit now in 2023. And yeah, it's it's huge for Mac Jones. Just getting someone who's done this before, who's groomed young quarterbacks before. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's I don't know if this is like the highest upside move in the world, but it just raises the floor of the Patriots so much. Yeah, and it's a move that needed to be done. They had to, whether it was Bill O'Brien or somebody else, it just felt like Bill O'Brien was the perfect fit because he had been with the organization previously. And I do really wonder, Doug, how much of this was Robert Kraft, right? Because last year he gave Bill the rope to do it his own way. And he had the quotes at the owner's meeting, essentially saying that Bill's done it differently for 20 years. He's had success. But how much of the Bill O'Brien hiring specifically was Kraft just knowing that, okay, this is a guy that's worked in our organization. I saw him like, it's Tom Brady, totally different than Mac Jones, but I saw him have success here. I wonder how much of this was, hey, Bill, you're hiring an offensive coordinator and I'd like it to be Bill O'Brien. Like, I feel like Robert Kraft had a large portion of this decision. And I'm sure Belichick ultimately made the decision, but obviously Kraft had to push him in that direction. And quite frankly, Kraft's the only guy that can do it because he's the owner of the football team. Like, I really do wonder if this move is made without Robert Kraft being the owner. It's a good question. And I feel like it's either got to be that, that this is influenced by Robert Kraft and that this came from up above. Um, I mean, I heard personally that that Bill Belichick was the one who was kind of running this whole operation. I'm not sure how much help he had from anyone else on staff, you know, but that could also obviously include Robert Kraft as well. I think that this was ultimately Belichick, Kraft, and then we heard that Gerard Mayo was sitting on in on the meetings as well. But like the only other option here is that the Patriots just looked at last season as being a wash and that they were just waiting an extra year for Bill O'Brien. And that's why we saw Matt Patricia. And that's why we saw Joe Judge and why they didn't go through an offensive coordinator hiring search last year. And I mean, ultimately, I think today is a positive one for Patriots fans. But I think you kind of have to look at last year as a negative. And like, why are you just, you know, eliminating last year? Like, it feels like there wasn't a full attempt at trying for the 2022 season, which seems so strange given that Bill Belichick is still trying to get the wins record and you've got a young quarterback and you spent all this money in the offseason in 2021. It just didn't feel like they were trying to put the best product on the field coaching wise last year if they were going to wait a year for Bill O'Brien. Yeah, well, I'm with you on that, Doug. And the other interesting component to all that is if you think about it from this perspective is so essentially they gave up on last year in terms of the offensive coordinator certs. They just decided to go with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And so if that was the case, I don't understand why. Well, was it just because Bill O'Brien's contract and they wanted to make sure that Bill O'Brien fulfilled his obligation with Nick Saban, who's a Belichick friend? So if that was the case, then there's other offensive coordinators you could have gone after. <laughs> right. Like you could have gone after a guy like Mike Kafka, right? Like you, there's right. other names that you could have gone after that were outside the family tree. Even the Bills, they hired Joe Brady as like their quarterbacks coach who had experience as a play caller as well. And they really never opened up that thing. And the other thing I will say to that is, so first of all, that to me is unacceptable if they were just waiting on Bill O'Brien. And then the second portion of that is, okay, if that was the case, if you had a plan that you felt like, in two years, we can get Bill O'Brien to come in, be the offensive play caller, the offensive coordinator, et cetera. That's great. But then why wouldn't you give Nick Haley the opportunity last year, right? Like there was no long game with Patricia as the offensive coordinator. Right. There was no experience there. And maybe Kaylee would have been a good play caller. Like maybe he could have been one of these young guys across the league we've seen that has come in. We've seen a lot of tight ends coaches succeed as play callers, if you will. 
So I don't understand why there was it more of an emphasis on giving Kaylee an opportunity last year if the plan the whole time was really to wait for Bill O'Brien, which to me, it's just so aggravating, too, because you wasted the second year of your quarterback developing as a player. Uh, my, my retort to that, I think, might be that if you're waiting on Bill O'Brien anyway, like if you're going to take a year, say, like, who cares about this year? I'm not saying that that's exactly the way they were looking that year, but at least from like the offensive coordinator perspective of we're going to wait a year for Bill O'Brien, we're going to hire Bill O'Brien in 2022, then or in 2023, then for Nick Kelly in 2022, that almost makes him like a lame duck offensive coordinator in 2022. And and it it begs to wonder like what you would do with Nick Kelly in 2023 if you still look at Bill O'Brien as the better option for the offensive coordinator. So that might have been to some degree almost protecting Nick Kelly and the future of his career where you don't necessarily have to do that with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And, you know, just to this point of, okay, were the Patriots waiting for Bill O'Brien? Why didn't they go last year? Look at other offensive coordinator candidates like you mentioned with Mike Kafka. I kind of feel like this year's offensive coordinator search is proof that they weren't really going to do that anyway, based on the names that they brought in this year of Adrian Clem, Kenyon McArdle, um, Sean Jefferson, and then uh, Nick Cayley was the other one. It was like they wanted someone internally, which would either be Nick Cayley or Bill O'Brien, who's been here before. But then those other candidates almost seemed like they were bringing them in for other roles on the staff rather than actually bringing them in as offensive coordinator candidates. So that to me tells me, one, that they probably weren't going to look outside of you know the building or who's been in the building before anyway. But it also kind of tells me that Bill Belichick wasn't going to go through this offensive coordinator search and like go through the Rooney rule and everything like that and waste his time and other people's time. And you can look at this from a number of two, uh, I guess, two different ways. One of which is that were they really abiding by the Rooney rule if they weren't going to hire the, the three minority candidates anyway? Like maybe, but at least it's not wasting those guys' time by bringing them in and being like, oh, you have an actual chance at offensive coordinator when you might actually rather hire them as offensive line coaches, wide receivers coaches, something like that. And then you're also not wasting your own time because you don't get these opportunities to interview position coaches from other teams. So whether it's for this year or a year in the future, I think it was just kind of using everyone's team, everyone's time wisely if you're going to hire Bill O'Brien anyway by bringing in the candidates that they did. Yeah, that's fair. And going back to your original point on the Nick Cayley thing, like if they were going to hire Bill O'Brien the whole time. Well, the only thing I would say is like, okay, if Patricia worked last year, they would just rolled it back, right? They would <laughs> right. say, oh, Bill's a genius. Matt Patricia's a good offensive play caller. So maybe they would have, in this hypothetical, done the same thing with a guy like Nick Cayley. But to your other point about bringing in the other candidates, I do think it's interesting, right? Because I saw Albert Breer reported that maybe Clem could be part of the coaching staff going forward. Mm -hmm. Maybe he could work under Bill O'Brien. So maybe that was, hey, bring him in. Bill had familiarity with the player. So when he was a player, I should say, of course, his first draft pick as a Patriot. And then maybe we can get him to be helping out with our offensive line and with Keenan McCardell, Another guy that played under Bill Belichick, who we know Bill absolutely loves, Keenan McCardell, who, by the <laughs> way, was an absolutely fantastic player. But Hopefully. I like the fact that he was in here and he has experience from the Kevin O'Connell offense, who, of course, he played for Bill, but also Kevin O'Connell coached for Sean McVay. So taking some of those concepts. And the other thing with McCardell is, like, I like Troy Brown as a coach, but maybe they're thinking, hey, maybe Troy Brown's going to do something different in the future here mm -hmm. in terms of the position coaches. Maybe Keenan McCardell is a possibility, like, because it's not like he's going to get a bump up, you would think, right, in Minnesota. He's never going to be mm -hmm. the play caller there, so maybe it's an opportunity to also pick his brain about what he did with Diggs at Maryland when he coached him there 
and what he did with Justin Jefferson and just sort of the formation. So I think from that sense, it's at least useful to bring in other candidates. But you're right. It does sort of right now look like a sham because we've been talking about Bill O'Brien for two months that these other candidates really didn't have a chance to get the job. Yeah. And I think that Sean Jefferson's a really interesting one as well, because he's been a, you know, highly acclaimed wide receivers coach during his time kind of throughout the league. He's been with a number of different teams. He was last with the Arizona Cardinals and with their head coaching position in flux right now with Cliff Kingsbury out, they haven't hired a new uh, head coach yet. I'm not sure what his contract situation is in Arizona, but it's possible that he could just join the staff this offseason. Like with McArdle, you might have to wait for that contract to be up before he would join the staff. And there's a question of whether he would even want to leave the Vikings with what he's able to do with Justin Jefferson and everything like that. But with a guy like Sean Jefferson, like, I don't know what his role here would be, because like you said, I don't know how the team views Troy Brown as the wide receivers coach. I think that he's done a pretty good job with Jacoby Myers Um, last year, the wide receiver position. It seemed to have a a number of issues, but that was kind of more like a bodies and usage issue more than how they actually performed on the field. But my question with Clem and then maybe even bringing in a a guy like Sean Jefferson or or Keenan McArdle is, would they be willing to open up like a passing game coordinator, a run game coordinator, maybe an assistant head coach or associate head coach, like giving guys some other titles and actually expanding the staff rather than continuing to make this one of the smaller coaching staffs in the NFL? Yeah, it's interesting to see like if any of those other guys ends up landing a spot and being with the organization long term. But the other thing I would just mention, too, is one thing I'm really excited about in terms of Bill O'Brien is just sort of the RPO game, which was non-existent in the Mac Mm -hmm. Jones offense. Right. So if you look at it, Sports Information Solutions documents all this. So Mac last year, 19 dropbacks out of RPOs, which was 17th of the NFL, 19 attempts as well. So about 4.3, exactly 4.3% of his passing attempts last year came out of RPOs. You go back to his final season at Alabama, he was one of the most efficient RPO passers Mm -hmm. in the country. It was like around 20%. And by the way, like these are not creative RPO passes either. Like you look at it, it's negative 33 air yards, right? So everything is behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. There's not much creativity there. And then you juxtapose that to Bryce Young this past season. 54 attempts out of RPOs, that's 14.2%. And Watson, Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. like Bill O'Brien's final full season in 2019 with the Texans, he was at 517 passing yards out of RPOs, which is third. So we were talking about this before the season. Mac mm-hmm. talked about it during the season, saying that he thinks RPOs are cool. So I'm interested now to see, oh, maybe Bill O'Brien can evolve this RPO passing game. Because even when the Patriots tried it this year, it was so simplistic, right, in yeah. terms of what they were actually doing concept-wise. So I'm excited that maybe Bill O'Brien digs into this a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I had even heard last offseason that there was an expectation that the Patriots would bring in some elements of that Alabama offense. And obviously, we didn't see that. But I also think that there was even people around the team last year who thought that you know, the Patriots could hire Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator. And what happened there, obviously, is that Bill uh, Bill Belichick allowed him to live out that contract with Alabama, didn't want to steal him from Nick Saban. So now I think this year is where we do see some of those concepts that Mac Jones was running at Alabama actually come over with Bill O'Brien from Alabama to the Patriots coaching staff. And I think it's a good sign, too, that, like you mentioned, Bill O'Brien was using RPO concepts as far back as his Houston days because you could easily see him kind of 
resorting back to what worked for him before in New England with Tom Brady, like, all right, I've done the college thing. Now I'm going to go back to what worked for me in the NFL. But the fact that they were doing that with Watson, I think, is a good sign for the RPO game for the Patriots uh, in 2023 and beyond. The one thing I will say, and um, maybe you were going to get to this anyway, is that there's still the question of how much play action the Patriots are going to run with Bill O'Brien as their head coach, because even last year and the year before with Bryce Young, Alabama only ranked really kind of middle of the road in play action concepts uh, with Bryce Young at quarterback. And Bill O'Brien was usually kind of below average using play action during his days with the with the Houston Texans. So probably wouldn't expect that many more play action concepts to the Patriots. But if they are able to incorporate more RPOs, and that's definitely a net positive. Yeah, for sure. So I think the RPO game will definitely be there more so than it was last year, of course, which is basically non-existent. But yeah, it's yeah. a good point on the play action because last year it was so infuriating. We talked about it all season long. And even if you go back to the first half of the Bills game in week 18 of the season, Mac was what, nine of nine on play action passes, and then they don't go back to it in the second half. Yeah. It just feels like it made no sense whatsoever. And you look at Mac on the season, he ends up 39th of 41 qualifiers in terms of dropbacks at a play action, 16.7%. To your point on Bryce Young, they were more of an RPO heavy offense than a play action offense, to your point. Yeah. Young was still, though, 25.4% compared to Mac that's at 167 And that's right. with all, like, you know, they got a lot of creativity there at Alabama. So I have to imagine they dig into that a little bit more just in terms of the concept there. So just in terms of, hey, we have a guy that can design a play action pass game if he wants, and he yep. can use a little bit of the RPO game as well. It just feels like I feel like one thing about Mac is, OK, we know about the personnel. We'll get into that in a second, just in terms of the players. But now you actually have a guy that's capable of drawing up what's in the best interest of the quarterback. Like I felt so often last year, they weren't doing what was right for Mac Jones. And I go even back to the beginning of the season, Doug, when it was like everything they're throwing down the field, everything is 50-50 balls. Remember how turnover prone Mac was at yep. the beginning of the season, really pre-injury. And then everything was screens. Remember there was that game yep. against Arizona where he threw oh three, God. 13 screens. And I just, it felt like, first of all, Patricia didn't have the ability to game plan, right? They were terrible right. in the first quarter of games. And then secondarily, he had no ability to make adjustments whatsoever. And I do feel like at least Bill O'Brien will bring that to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, not to harp too much on the, the 2022 Patriots season as much as we already have at this point, but I'm running a piece on, on the Bengals right now, actually, um, for theanalyst.com. And, you know, the Bengals switched up their offense a little bit this season where still wasn't a lot of play action concepts, but they they raised the number of RPOs. And then they also really raised the number of quick game uh, concepts that they were using mm -hmm. this season. They were the only team in the NFL that was over 50% uh, quick game. The Patriots last season were really low on quick game. I think they were, they had the sixth lowest uh, quick game rate in the NFL last season. And then when you're also rating that low on play action, everything just becomes so predictable on offense where it's it's just all drop back concepts. And I feel like that that really just does not play to the strength, to your point, of what Mac Jones can do. I think you do need more RPOs. You do need more play action. And if you're not going to be doing those things, then you at least need to use some quick game in there. So as long as Bill O'Brien, like, brings on one or two of those different elements and doesn't just do all drop back like it was for the Patriots last season, then once again, this is going to be a, a net positive for the Patriots.
Yeah, my one critique of O'Brien going back to his time with the Houston Texans was that year in 19, his last full season. And look, some of these numbers were better with Bryce Young at the collegiate level, of course. I don't know if that's a Nick Saban influence, whatever the case may be. But if you look at it, so in that season, 2019, he was 24th, Deshaun Watson was on first down passing attempts at Mm -hmm. 167. As a result, their success rate was 41.3%, which was 20th in the NFL. So he became really predictable in terms of running the ball on first down, which to me, with Mm -hmm. a guy like Deshaun Watson, who was coming into his prime as a quarterback, I mean, that was probably 2019, Watson was really good. 2020, he was good as well on like a really shitty Houston team. But in 19, he still had DeAndre Hopkins. So I hope that they throw the ball more in first down because how often this year, Doug, did we watch this Patriots team? It's like, okay, Ramondre Stevenson is going to get stuffed. It's not going to be his fault. Actually, he'll probably pick up like three yards because he'll pick up three yards behind the line of scrimmage, but it'll be a negative one yard run. So I just hope they are more aggressive on first down because I really feel like they put themselves in a bad position on second and third down for the quarterback because they became so predictable. You have to throw the ball on third down and second down every time because on first down, you were doing shit. No, absolutely. And that's one of those things that you do hope that Bill O'Brien can carry over from Alabama. It doesn't rely on what he was doing with Houston. Or I haven't looked at the the metrics for, you know, how Bill O'Brien ranked on first down passing rate when he was here previously. Obviously, that's a little bit different because you have... Tom Brady, Randy Moss, and Wes Welker in year one. You've got the tight ends coming in there in year two and three, and just Tom Brady in general. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that you you can't be so predictable on first down, constantly running the ball, putting yourself in a bad position for second and third down and beyond. But I mean, just overall, like the other net positive here for the Patriots is just that some of those like costly errors that we saw with, you know, route spacing and just being able to coach up Mac Jones, making him a better player here. Like those are the things that I expect to be fixed for the Patriots here with Bill O'Brien now as offensive coordinator. And those are the things that it just seemed like they couldn't do last year with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. And I mean, one other point for the coaching for me is I'm curious to see, obviously we talked about Adrian Clem, maybe Keenan McArdle or Sean Jefferson. Like I'd like to see a quarterback coach come in here as well. Or if they don't bring one in, then maybe elevate Nick Cayley to that role. If he doesn't get a better Mm. job across the NFL and give him that opportunity to be be a quarterback coach, because I do think that, you know, just looking at this on paper, Patriots had one of the worst offenses in the NFL last year. Like if they can get to league average or even top 10 next season, it's definitely possible that Bill O'Brien could become a hot coaching candidate again. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's a good point. And the elevation from Nick Cayley, like quarterbacks coach is obviously a higher job than mm-hmm. a tight ends coach. And the other thing that could do, Doug, is, hey, uh, Joe, go back to the special teams because the Patriots had yes. one of the worst special teams units by all the numbers. I mean, their punting was the worst in the NFL and I'm not saying that, you know, Joe Judge can teach them how to punt. I mean, that's something they get to fix from a personnel perspective as well. But they they had so many mind-numbing errors on special teams. It cost them. The final game of the season against the Buffalo Bills, they return it for two touchdowns. Yeah, the other game against, what, Minnesota, where you're running into the kicker or the punter, rather. There's just too many dumb mistakes. So maybe that means that Joe Judge can go back to the special teams, keep them away from the quarterback. I mean, I would really be on board for that. So one other thing on O'Brien I wanted to mention. So I felt it was interesting, like Alabama fans like really wanted him out, like they're cheering this almost like they really wanted O'Brien out. I'm looking at it. It's like, all right, they were third in points per game last year. They were fifth two years ago. Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy two seasons (laughs) ago. He was dealing with injuries this past season. And I saw Bryce Young have the quote on where he said, it's been an honor for me to play with him these past couple of years. I've grown tremendously. All the stuff that he brings, how he carries himself day to day. 
So I really wonder about this because the offense has been good for Alabama, actually really good for Alabama with O'Brien as the offensive coordinator. I wonder if this is just, hey, we didn't win a national championship with O'Brien. That's sort of why we're we're pissed off. Because if you look at it just from a numbers perspective, the offense has been really good. Like the offense has not been a problem for Alabama with O'Brien. Yeah, I think it's, you kind of have to throw someone under the bus if you're an Alabama fan. You're like, you can't blame yeah. Bryce Young. You can't blame Nick Saban. Like, there's only so many people that you can blame. So it's like that that rotating cast of offensive coordinators, I think, kind of becomes a scapegoat. But, you know, I, I saw online kind of throughout the year that uh, it seemed like Alabama fans thought that Bill O'Brien maybe wasn't using enough RPO concepts at times. Like, obviously, the numbers don't don't really tell that story, but maybe they was only using them, um, you know, towards the end of the season. I, I don't know. I think that ultimately it was probably just a scapegoat situation because, like you said, Alabama didn't have the kind of success that maybe they're used to having year after year this season, but they were still a high-powered offense. Bryce Young is still, you know, one of the top quarterback prospects in the draft, Heisman Trophy winner, and it, yeah, it, it certainly was not an, an outright disaster there for Alabama with Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator. You know what I'm excited for, Doug, is now Matt or Mac Jones, rather, he said he wants to be coach hard. Well, he's going to get that now. You got yes. Bill O'Brien. And remember when he was here, what did Tom Brady call him? The teapot or something like he was in Brady's <laughs> documentary. I think he called him the teapot because he would just explode. We all have that famous yeah. scene of Brady and O'Brien going at oh, it yeah. on the sideline. But I do think that Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien are going to have it out a couple of times. And from my perspective, it'll be healthier this time around than it was last year. Like last year, what we got with Mac was him just like showing up the coaching staff on the field right. and like bitching towards the sidelines. At that point, it got a little bit too much for me. But I am really interested in the first O'Brien versus Mac outburst on the sideline. Like I'm really looking forward to that. And look, these guys are familiar with each other. Mac taught him yeah. the playbook at Alabama, right? Like Bill O'Brien admitted that. So I can't wait to see these two guys work together because they're both extremely fiery. Yeah, I don't think the... Uh the outbursts are going to be quite as one-sided this year on the, on the Patriots <laughs> sideline, or maybe they just kind of cancel each other out and they know better and wait for all the outbursts to actually come, you know, in the locker room, which I think would be a little bit healthier. Obviously from our perspective, it's entertaining when you've got Mac Jones screaming at offensive coaches on the sideline and everything like that from like a media perspective. But I don't think that that's the healthiest thing for an offense. And I do agree with you that like at a certain point, it was like, all right, like, like I, I get your point, Mac Jones, but like maybe let's save this energy for when the cameras aren't showing you on the field. And no, I think it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a healthy relationship there. And yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, like Mac Jones is going to be coached hard now with Bill O'Brien there as offensive coordinator. It's definitely a good thing for him. Uh, he's got actual coaching. I think that, like I said, this is kind of what he and maybe a lot of the people around the Patriots expected last year already. So. I don't know. I mean, I know that there's been some rumors out there that maybe now this could mean that Tom Brady will be back because he wants to play under Bill O'Brien. Like, I almost think that that's not worth even thinking about at this point. And you can only really look at this from a Mac Jones perspective, and, and it's going to be a good thing for him. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Yeah, I don't see like the Brady thing, Doug. I don't see him coming back. I just think there's still so many questions, right? The tackles are a question right now, what they're going to do there. The weapons are a question as well. And the other thing I would just say, if you're a Tom, you're coming back at 46, you want to go to like a ready-made contender. So there's question marks with the Patriots right now when it comes to that. So before we move on, where do you think Tom ends up? Because I mean, I've been on record where I think like Las Vegas makes a lot of sense, obviously, with the McDaniels connection. But the other team, like I think that makes sense, maybe Tom wouldn't want to go there, but is the Jets because they have a loaded defense. They have Garrett Wilson. We know about the Miami connection, but I guess we'll have to see what happens with Tua and the concussion. San Francisco, I mean, I was not impressed with Purdy last week, but it, it would seem really odd that they'd move on from Purdy after this year, considering the team's in the NFC title game. But where do you think is the most likely destination? I'd still go Raiders is most likely. I know it's tough with the family situation with his, I think his kids live in Florida right now, but like it's, it's not only Josh McDaniels, but it's also the, the personnel there, the playmakers are perfect for, for Tom Brady. And that's even before you consider the fact that Rob Gronkowski could come on board with him, but like he's got Darren Waller and Devonte Adams as, as those like big targets that he likes in Rob Gronkowski. He potentially have Josh Jacobs coming back as kind of that pass catching back. And then a Hunter Renfro, would be ready-made for that Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, Wes Welker, Troy Brown type role. So I think that offensively, they can fix the offensive line. They can fix the defense. There's there's time to do that this offseason. I think that that's the best fit. But the the one that I'd be looking at on the back burner is still the Miami Dolphins. I know that Chris Greer said that, you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is going to be their starting quarterback, all those things. But, like, I, you can't enter next season with Tua being your only answer at quarterback. And we saw this year that... Teddy Bridgewater should be one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL, but shit happens there too with injuries and underperformance and everything. So like you almost need, if you bring back Tua, then you also need a better backup quarterback than what you had last year in Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. And you also have to give him a new contract relatively soon too. So there's a timeline for a decision coming up with Tua Tango Vailoa. I would hate for him to lose that job because of health concerns, even though it might be the best thing for him anyway to take some time off from the NFL. But for them, if they're looking at Tua and being like, well, we don't know what we have here and we can get Tom Brady, it just seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, with the Tua thing too, it's like, man, like just from a health perspective, that's scary. The guy had three concussions this season, not one, not two, three concussions. And I mean, obviously they didn't pull him from a game in one of the times that he suffered the concussion late in the season, which was just looking back at it, it's egregious now that they missed that considering what he had already gone through earlier on the season when he had to get taken off the field. So that's definitely a concern. And Miami, we all know the connections are already there with Tom Brady, the tampering situation from a couple of years ago. So that could certainly happen. But you mentioned and, and Gron- they already lost. They already lost a first round pick yeah. for him. So like, you might as well get him anyway, right? Like, yeah. whatever. If you're going to lose the pick, get the guy anyway. Yeah, might as well. I mean, at this right. point, might as well. So hey, you mentioned Gronk. You think there's a chance he could come back? I mean, I think that there's always a possibility. Like, he still looked pretty good last yeah. year with the Bucks, and like, I don't know if if he goes, if Tom Brady winds up going somewhere that Rob Gronkowski would be willing to play, like. I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I feel like Gronk is always kind of hinting about things. Uh, me personally, I, I don't think that 
NFL analyst role on Fox is going to be a, a long-term career for Rob Gronkowski yeah. based on some of the things that we've seen this year. <laughs> I think that there's there's probably some better ways that Fox should maybe utilize him, but when his version of analysis is just uh, naming coaches who are on staff and having a 50% hit rate for even naming those coaches correctly, uh, I think that like a, a different career might be best for him. And, you know, he still looks good. He's still young. I think he could still play another year in the NFL. Yeah, you know what was amazing to me about that this week? Now, they had like a million guys on set, but it's crazy to see. I don't know why they have so many guys. Like, that show is ordinarily entertaining to me, so I don't don't know why they need more guys. Like, out of the pregame shows, I think it's the best one. It's better than CBS. It's better than ESPN. So I think it's a pretty good pregame show. But the one thing I noticed about Gronk, man, he is so much taller than the rest of those guys on that set. And these are professional. (laughs) These are former professional. Like, he towers over Michael Strahan, which is ridiculous to see that. But all right, so I did want to ask you about now the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstake with Bill O'Brien in the fold as the Patriots offensive coordinator. Does that take them out of the DeAndre Hopkins possible trade market. I mean, it's one of the worst trades we've seen, even though like it's a mess in Arizona. But I mean, they didn't give it a first round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. So I look at this. I look at this in two different ways. Like, first of all, some of the quotes that came out after the Texans trade DeAndre Hopkins, I think he said that he had like no relationship with Bill O'Brien, whatever that was. Obviously, things ended sour for those two. But the other way I look at this is like, DeAndre Hopkins played for Bill O'Brien for six years, and he was unbelievably productive in Houston with Bill O'Brien. So, like, it worked for them for a number of different years, and obviously things didn't end that well. But I don't know. I kind of, I kind of have the feeling that fences can be mended. I don't think it necessarily helps in the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes. Like, it can maybe only kind of hurt things, but. Like, there's no guarantee you were going to get DeAndre Hopkins anyway. So there was like a comment left on a podcast I did recently of like, if you had to pick between DeAndre Hopkins and Bill O'Brien, who would you take? And I I didn't actually respond to it, but my answer probably would have been Bill O'Brien because like, you know, you can get Bill O'Brien. You don't know that you can get DeAndre Hopkins and you're going to have to give up more for him anyway. And even if you get Bill O'Brien, there's still a possibility that you can get DeAndre Hopkins. So I don't think it completely eliminates the Patriots. Not sure if it helps. Uh, don't think it's likely just because any trade is is relatively unlikely, uh, but I'd still put it somewhere on the table. Yeah. So I talked about this last week in terms of just like the receiver market and free agency. You look at it like you could make a real convincing argument that Jacoby Myers is the best guy. Yep. I mean, it's him. It's the Juju Smith Schusters of the world. It's not exactly a stacked class. And no. that means Jacoby Myers is going to get a lot of money. Like, and you almost wonder like why the Patriots didn't get something done before now. And I understand he's a Rosenhaus guy and all that. So maybe that's part yeah. of the equation, but he's going to get a big payday. So I wonder if the trade market is the more or the better avenue rather for the Patriots to go down. I mean, my buddy, Andrew Callahan, he had the article last week in the Herald, like possible guys that could be traded because of cap implications. He had Keenan Allen on there. He had mm-hmm. T. Higgins on there, which I'm like, okay, if you can get T. Higgins, that'd be nice. <laughs> Jerry Judy, we know that Denver's given up a million draft picks. Maybe they want to get more draft picks back. And we know the Judy Russell Wilson relationship was not particularly great. And then there's Mike Evans, right? Tom Brady's mm-hmm. not going to be there. That team is not going to be particularly good next year. He has a big cap hit. They are like way over the cap entering the season. So if it's not DeAndre Hopkins, do you see them getting into that maybe trade market? Or do you think they'll just try to develop from within like we saw last year? I think it's possible. I think that Mike Evans is an interesting one just because he has obviously performed well with Tom Brady. Um, I'm not sure if Mike Evans is still, you know, 100% of what he used to be, but Mike Evans at 90% or something. If you can get him at a decent bargain in a trade, I think it would be worthwhile. I 
I kind of I, I I tried to make this point on the last last podcast that I did last past chat podcast I did I think I did a somewhat terrible job of doing it, but I do think that the Patriots need to reshape their wide receiver core almost entirely this offseason. That's not to say that they should like release everyone and start over again, but having five starting caliber wide receivers, even though all of those guys are you know number twos or number threes on on other teams just didn't work last year because you don't want a starting caliber wide receiver like Kendrick Bourne having to sit on the bench for 80% of snaps or whatever it was that he was on the bench last season. Like that just doesn't really work from a team building perspective. And I think that Bill Belichick said back in the past, like we're not collecting talent, we're building a team. And by just getting a bunch of wide receivers who kind of all do the same type of thing, we're all around the same talent level that feels like you're just acquiring talent rather than building a team. I think that for teams who are successful right now, you know who the number one is. You know who the number two and number three is. And like, I I don't typically like looking at wide receivers in that perspective because obviously they're they're playing different roles and everything like that. But like, just from a pure talent perspective, the Patriots had a pretty clear cut number one in Jacoby Myers last year. But then it was just a bunch of guys who were all like number threes who would be on other teams. So I'm not sure how the Patriots fix that this uh, this season because Jacoby Myers is a free agent. Nelson Aguilar is a free agent. So they got Devontae Parker, Taquan Thornton, um, and Kendrick Bourne coming back now. And like that's fine as a starting point. But I still think that like you probably would like to bring back Jacoby Myers and then maybe also add a Mike Evans, yeah. even if that's not an and or. Like I think that's an and or. It's not a it's not an or. So if you're doing that, then I think that at that point, maybe you do try to make a trade, like trade Kendrick Bourne for something, trade uh, Devontae Parker for something, like get one of those guys out of the mix just from a team building perspective, because they're going to want a role. They're talented enough to have a role and things are just going to go a little bit south if they're unhappy. Well, and by the way, if they don't trade Kendrick Bourne, let's say they hold on to him. Is there anybody happier than Kendrick Bourne that Matt Patricia is no longer calling plays right. for the Patriots? Like that guy's going to be Seriously. extremely pious out of the doghouse. The doghouse doesn't exist anymore because Matt Patricia doesn't have one, which is and it's interesting because if you do look at it, like I feel like and you pointed this out on Twitter earlier today about like the targets DeAndre Hopkins got the targets that Wes Welker got when Bill yeah. O'Brien was the offensive coordinator is like. Okay, he will spam stuff. He will just continue to target his best players and have the quarterback continue to target the best players. So that's where I think, like, for lack of a better term, like, it feels like more of an NBA thing that I've talked about in the past. Like, I had an issue with Brad Stevens back in the day where he didn't, like, have a pecking order, right? Where I was like, okay, you get a shot. You get a shot. It's almost like the Bernie Sanders offense, right? Everybody gets a (laughs) shot. And with a guy like Bill O'Brien, I do feel like that's one of his strengths, right? He's a very Mm -hmm. big personality. We've seen him target guys over and over again. So if you did get a number one receiver in here, then everything else would sort of fall into place. And Mm -hmm. I do feel like you you have the guy calling the plays that would actually go with that, would actually go with, hey, he's the best player. He gets the most targets. He's the second best player. It's not a week by week thing. Hey, you were late. You're not playing all this different crap. It's just, hey, let's throw the ball to the best players, which that sounds like awfully simplistic for me to say, but it wasn't <laughs> right. happening for the Patriots. It didn't happen last year. Yeah, because I even I went into that when I was looking at the Texan stats from 2014 to 2020, the first four weeks of 2020, I was like, I was actually looking to see how much they use slot receivers because of how much Wes Welker got the ball in New England. And it did. It showed that Bill O'Brien was willing to change his offense for the personnel, which is what you want to see. (laughs) When DeAndre Hopkins is clearly your best wide receiver, 
he's going to get 8,000 yards over six seasons. And your next best wide receiver, I think it was like Will Fuller or something like that, got 2,000. Then you had CJ Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin and all these other guys. Like, first of all, it speaks to the lack of talent the Texans had in their, their playmaking positions beyond DeAndre Hopkins. But yeah, it also shows that if a guy's the best player on an offense, then you're going to get him the ball. And maybe you don't need 10 starting caliber pass catching off uh, you know options in your offense the way the patriots did this year with the two tight ends and the five wide receivers and the two running back it's just like they almost had i don't know i like it, it's kind of a simplistic way of looking at offense it's kind of maybe even a dumb way of looking at an offense but like you want to spread out the talent better like you have to you you don't want nine guys who are the same exact talent level. You want a clear-cut number one. You want a clear-cut number two. And the Patriots just 1,000% did not have that last year, which is why the targets were spread out so much beyond Jacoby Myers. Yeah, and I almost had, like, empathy watching the games this weekend and thinking about who's playing in the conference championship, right? Because, like, you watch Purdy, and Purdy was not particularly great against the Cowboys, but he's got Debo, he's got Ayuk, and Kittle. And then you look at the rest of the teams, like, playing in the conference championship. Look at what Jalen Hurts says. He has... A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, he's got Goddard. We know that Mahomes has Kelsey. And then you look at Joe Burrow, who is absolutely rolling right now. I mean, that guy's got Chase. He's got Higgins. He's got a nice running game if they want to go to that like they did last week with Joe Mixon. And I'm like, okay, Max number one receiver is uh, Jacoby Myers. And then after that, we don't (laughs) really know. Now, here's the million-dollar question, or I guess it's like the $30 million cap hit question. Can he get anything out of the tight ends next year? Like, I think they can get more out of Henry Henry, especially in the red zone, but the John U. Smith thing, I mean, he restructured. I think the cap hit's going to be like over 17 mil next season. Can yeah. they say, can they do, can Bill O'Brien do anything with John U. Smith? I, it's so tough. Like in an ideal world, you, you rewind time, you go back in time and you do not restructure John U. Smith's contract because prob- in an ideal world, like one of those tight ends is gone this off season, right? Like yep. you would yep. cut one of them or trade one of them or do something with one of them. But the Patriots now don't have the option to do that with John U. Smith because of the contract Ugh. restructuring. So if you were to do that, that would mean then taking Hunter Henry out of the offense and trading or cutting him or doing something like that. And he's been better than John U. Smith, you know, from a from a pass catching pr- perspective, hasn't always been the most reliable blocker. So I think they can. I mean, he had a thousand yard season with C.J. Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin with the Texans. There were other seasons where the Texans got very little production out of their tight ends. It did seem like it was kind of, you know, talent-based and and depending on who was in the personnel there. So I want to say yes, but I also kind of just want to eliminate one of those players because they're just taking up way too much money. And if there is a possibility of like, would you rather have Mike Evans on your roster or Hunter Henry? Like, you're going to take Mike Evans. And like, it would it would suck to take Hunter Henry out since he's been better than Johnny Smith. But to this point, having those two tight ends is not worth the money that you're giving them. So I almost feel like it's better to cut your losses and trade the guy that you can to free up that money to, to add something somewhere else. Because like, no matter what, the Patriots aren't going to run 100% of their snaps in, in 12 personnel next season with two tight ends. Like there's going to be, it's going to be probably from, you know, primarily 11 personnel. So I don't know. I, I just, it, it would suck, but I think you have to either trade or cut Hunter Henry. That, that, that's my opinion on this. Yeah. And look, I'll be happy if the answer is, Hey, well, you have Mike Evans, you have T Higgins, or you have Deandre Hopkins. One of the guys <laughs> right. I mentioned, if it's Jerry, even Jerry Judy, who, Hey, going back to the whole, like 
Alabama connection with Mac Jones. He played with him for like yep. half a year when Tua went down. So I'd be happy if they have to make that move. Hey, but, but I want to get to one more thing about the offense. What about Damian Harris, right? Because we know the Patriots are going to have to invest in tackle, whether they do it in the draft or free agency. They may have to do both. But what about Harris? Because he doesn't play in a lot of games last year because he's dealing with injuries. Clearly, Ramondre Stevenson has passed him. I mean, Ramondre mm-hmm. Stevenson right now, he's in the family photo of the best running backs in the NFL, just in terms yeah. of what he was able to do in the passing game as well. But now with all these injuries to Damian Harris, and we know he's not really a pass catcher out of the backfield, I don't really think there's going to be a big market for the guy, do you? I don't. And I think that if there's not a big market, if he's like a, I don't know, it's it's tough to even project what he would make on the open market. But if he's like a 2 to $3 million guy, just bring him back for one season, I think. Yeah. And because, I, honestly, the, the biggest reason for that is that I just don't think that you saw enough out of Kevin Harris or Pierre Strong where you'd feel confident with them being that number two behind Ramondre Stevenson, just because injuries are so prevalent at the running back position that at some point you're going to have to count on that number two running back on the Patriots next season. And I don't know, like maybe they saw enough out of Pierre Strong, but personally I didn't where you would feel comfortable counting on him. So whether it is Damian Harris or whether it's someone else entering that role, like maybe you bring back Sonny Michelle or something like that on a veteran minimum contract, like, like someone's going to need to fill that role. And if Damian Harris is cost efficient enough to bring him back that's that's just the easiest route i think yeah and doug just to circle back to where we began this thing i'm just so happy that it looks i'm not happy that this happened this way but it's so funny like looking (laughs) back at it now like they just wasted a year like now okay you got an offensive coordinator like you did you wasted a whole year everybody like in the media and like fans were getting on us for like criticizing the decision thinking it was stupid but by the end of the season most fans realize like hey Patricia shouldn't be calling plays. It just feels like for the first time ever, like Bill's made decisions that everybody else has questioned and they worked out. Now, he's also had questionable decisions that didn't exactly work out. But this is the one where it's like unanimously nobody thought this is going to work. It didn't work. And now a year later, like I'm like giddy that they have an offensive coordinator again. But I'm also like at the point where I'm like, should I be mad again? Because they didn't have one last year. You know what I mean? It's unbelievable. I mean, the the best part of this, I think, is that like you can properly evaluate Mac Jones now next season, assuming Great that point. Mac Jones is going to be the quarterback next year. Like you, you at least like I think his rookie season, you know, they made things easy for him. Josh McDaniels, one of the best offensive coordinators. Like I think that that's probably more of what Mac Jones is than what he was in year two. But you just couldn't even properly evaluate him if like the run the wide receivers were running on top of each other. Like you didn't have guys who knew how to run an offense in there. Now at least you can see what you have in Mac Jones, and you can see if this is the guy that you want to progress forward with, or whether you need to then take a quarterback in the twenty twenty four draft or whatever it would be. So that's one of the best parts is that now we might actually get an answer on Mac Jones following this season. I know. I mean, call call it crazy, right? Like your young quarterback needs a decent play caller, which is just and like, I mean, Josh McDaniels, like say what you want about the guy. Bill thought highly of the guy. So the fact that you went from Josh McDaniels, an established guy to Matt Patricia, was just so frustrating. But it's a great point. Like now, hey, Mac's on the clock. Like you got to find out what Mac is as a quarterback because he's coming up pretty quickly on whether or not you want to pick up that fifth year option. And then you get to decide whether or not you're giving the guy a second contract. So it does feel like this third year for Mac is going to be just so pivotal, not only for him, but for the organization, because if Mac doesn't take a big step forward this year, I mean, you wasted the 15th overall pick on a guy that you would have to move on from. I mean, that would look really bad as well. 
Yeah, that would look bad. I mean, at least you're not trading up for him, I guess, at that point. Like, yeah, at least they, they would have been smart to kind of hang back. And I was kind of, that that was a, a thought I had even, not to like uh, diverge too much, but like like on Zach Wilson, like at least the Jets didn't have to trade up for Zach Wilson. At least they just kind of like stuck at number two overall, took Zach Wilson. They didn't have to mortgage the future to get him. And if they can move on from him without like having to do that, it's much better than having to trade future firsts for a guy who didn't work out so i mean that would be the the one positive there is that the patriots didn't actually have to move up or give anything up more for mac jones than they did uh but no it certainly wouldn't be a a a positive for the patriots if they had to move on from the 15th overall pick uh three seasons in the jets are just so weird man because like they can't get the quarterback right right like sam darnold (laughs) didn't work mark sanchez didn't work back in the day i mean we know he had the run but he didn't work long term They gave up on Geno Smith and whether or not you think Geno Smith is that great of a quarterback. But then you go to Darnold and then you go to Zach Wilson. But recently under this new regime, like they're hitting everything else out of the park, like uh, Sauce Gardner stud. You could argue he was the best corner in the NFL this season. Right. Right. I mean, you think about a guy like Garrett Wilson stud, all the guys, Quentin Williams that they have up front. Like it's a really good roster. I do wonder, too, like if they don't go after Tom, like I wonder if they get into the Rodgers sweepstakes, if he becomes available, because it really does feel like and I know like a lot of teams can say this, but they really are. They're like a quarterback away. If they get a quarterback like they almost made the playoffs with Joe Flacco and Mike White and Zach Wilson last season. Like, what if they did have Aaron Rodgers and what that roster would look like with a guy like him over those quarterbacks that I mentioned? It just feels like, man, they've been stake bitten in terms of drafting quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually do think that they need to go all in. Like, they they basically almost need to land Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, or like some other random quarterback that we haven't thought about the possibility of trading for yet. Because right. like... Yeah, they could bring in Derek Carr, and I think that Derek Carr would would elevate that roster, and like they'd at least make the playoffs and maybe make a little bit of a run. But they're not; they're probably not going to win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr, right? They actually have a legitimate possibility with the talent on that roster of winning a Super Bowl if they get Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. I mean, it's at least a possibility. I, I mean, Patriots fans, I think that some of the emotion with Tom Brady has probably departed at this point for Patriots fans, given what he did with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and like how many years now it's been since he was with the Patriots. But I think that him going back to the J or him going to the Jets uh, would, would, you know, bring a lot of those emotions back for Patriots fans. And don't think that would be an, an easy pill to swallow if uh, New Englanders saw Tom Brady and the, the New York Jets green and white. Yeah. Or Miami too, like the divisional rival right. thing, especially considering the Patriots always suck against the Dolphins. Like that could be something that is not great for Patriots fans either. All right. What was great no. is Doug Kide emergency podcast. You can hear his podcast, the Pat's chat podcast as well. Doug, thanks so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. And have fun with uh, this off season. Bill O'Brien, <laughs> we'll see if they get a number one receiver, but never boring in Patriot land, man. No, definitely. This was great, Brian. Uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. All right. Great stuff, Doug. All right, coming up next, Tom Brady, some interesting comments to his buddy, Jim Gray. We'll get to those next. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. 
and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from my buddy, Doug Kide. It is a celebration in some sense for the Patriots that they do have an offensive coordinator. We don't have to deal with Matt Patricia anymore. And Matt Patricia being one of the worst play callers we have ever seen in NFL history. I mean, there's no way around it. The Patriots offense in terms of the differential from Mac Jones's rookie season to Mac Jones's second season. I mean, it is just absolutely crazy to look at. If you look at the success rate, 41.2% last year, that was 23rd. This past season, or I should say last year, they were 23rd. Two years ago, they were fourth at 48.6%. They scored on 32.8% of their drives last season. That was 23rd in the NFL. Two seasons ago, they scored on 48% of their drives, second in the entire NFL with Mac Jones as a rookie. And we all know about the red zone, the touchdown percentage. They were last in the league at 42.2%. This past season, or I should say two years ago, they're at 61.9%, 11th in the NFL. So all the numbers across the board went down. The quarterback's numbers went down. But I do have some level of empathy with Mac Jones that he had to deal with Matt Patricia. And it is a bad mistake for the Patriots that they spent that year having Matt Patricia as the play caller, considering the results were the quarterback regress. Now, the good news is you got a real guy in here in Bill O'Brien that hopefully can help to develop Mac Jones and fix some of the issues that Mac Jones had last season, but it should have never gotten to this point where Mac had to go through the season that he did a year ago, and it looks real bad. I mean, this is one of the worst decisions Bill Belichick has ever made as the head coach slash general manager of the Patriots. I mean, we can go through the bad ones, like not playing Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. Like During halftime, you probably should have realized there was an adjustment to be made there, but you can't really look at many decisions that were worse than this for Bill Belichick. I mean, you can go back to the Brady situation, but there were even some of the national media at that particular point in time that you look at his 19 season. Remember, Brady didn't have a lot of suitors. You're thinking about teams like the Chargers at the time, the 49ers. They evaluated all the tape on Jimmy Garoppolo. They thought he was better than Tom Brady. The Titans said, you know what? We're going to bring back Ryan Tannehill. So because Brady had struggled in 19 and what we found out, it was because the line was good. It was because or the line wasn't good. And it was because he didn't have a lot of weapons. That's why Tom struggled. It wasn't because of Tom Brady himself because we saw immediately the next year the success he had with a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So even that one, like you could understand like why the decision was at that time to move on from Tom. Now, what you can't justify is there was no backup plan in, to, in terms of who the quarterback was going to be after Tom Brady left 
the organization. But you could understand that one in the moment just because of the way that Tom played at 19 and the way that the rest of the league at that particular point in time viewed Tom. And we'd find out that they were all wrong as well. The Niners would have loved to have Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo. But speaking of Brady, I wanted to get to this because on his most recent podcast, the Let's Go podcast, and if you don't listen to that, it's with Jim Gray and it's with Larry Fitzgerald as well. So he was asked by Jim Gray, his buddy, Scratchy as he calls him, if he has made a decision on what he's doing next year. This is what Tom said. Jim, if I knew what I was going to fucking do, I'd have already fucking done it, okay? I'm taking it one day at a time. I appreciate you asking, though. Thank you. <laughs> Jim Gray's just like, I mean, Jim Gray's the soft landing. He's co-hosting Tom Brady's podcast. All he wants to do is help Tom Brady, right? Like he's getting paid to do all this stuff with Tom Brady. That's what Jim Gray is. He calls him scratchy. That's Tom Brady's buddy. When Tom Brady went to Salem State to give that speech after everything that happened with Deflategate, he brought Jim Gray to be the guy that was there for him, right? Like, so Jim Gray is Tom Brady's guy and Tom's even aggravated to the point where he's swearing at Jim Gray, which I thought was interesting. It's like, Tom, you're doing a podcast. I mean, we know that Jim Gray is going to ask you extremely soft questions, but you know that one's coming. So I like the fact that Jim Gray actually asked Tom Brady a real question because ordinarily they're just ridiculous questions. We know all this stuff is like pre-rehearsed with Tom and Jim Gray, especially when they do that like Westwood One pregame show. But the podcast, obviously, it's a little bit different. But Tom was pissed at that. I mean, what do you th- Jim Gray has to ask you. Even Jim Gray has to ask you that question. Okay. But I did want to mention this. I found this interesting. So Tom Brady... Prior to this past season, okay, since Gronk made his NFL debut with Brady, so they had played 141 games together and 48 without because Gronk dealt with injuries and, of course, in 19, he didn't play at all. So Brady's completion percentage with Gronk as a teammate, 66%. Without Gronk, 60.8%. Now, this is since Gronk made his debut. I'm not going back to the first decade of the Brady run, if you will. So Brady passing yards with Gronk, 291 yards per game. Without Gronk, 261. Brady's passer rating with Gronk, 103.8. Without Gronk, 89.6. Okay, so that's when Brady and Gronk were teammates. You go to this past season, Brady had a 90.7 passer rating. Of course, he didn't play with Gronk at all. 2019, he had an 88 rating without Rob Gronkowski, right? So 1988, this past season, 90.7, the full seasons that Gronk hasn't played. So if you go back to 20 and 21 with Gronk actually playing in Tampa Bay, 102.2 rating for Brady and a 102.1. So pretty much the same. So what Gronk was for Tom was the bailout guy, right? Arguably the best bailout guy in NFL history. Just throw it up. He's going to catch it, right? And he was a legitimate bona fide number one option. So yeah, Tom won the Super Bowl in 16 without Gronk. He was also in fuck you mode after that season, remember, because he served the four game suspension. I still and I've said this multiple times. That's the best season I've ever seen Tom Brady play was 16. It was better than 07. Go back and look at that. He should have won the MVP. They gave it to Ryan because Brady was dealing with the suspension. But what this year in 19 tell you is this is really good for the Gronk legacy, right? I mean, think about this. Like we all know he's a first ballot Hall of Famer and all that. We know that's a given, but. This quarterback, Tom Brady, who's basically the best to ever do it. I mean, inarguably, I shouldn't even say it that way. He's the best to ever do it. He's 30 yards per game less without Gronk. His completion percentage drops 6% without Gronk. And his passer rating drops 14 points without Rob Gronkowski. So think about this. This is Tom Brady without Rob Gronkowski. Like, this is Rob Gronkowski. This is unbelievable numbers for Rob Gronkowski to say, hey, look at the GOAT without me. It's phenomenal to just look at how impactful 
Rob Gronkowski was for Tom Brady. If you just look at the big picture aspect of those two guys' careers together. All right. So, by the way, if this is happening to the GOAT, imagine having a second-year quarterback with a limited skill set, not having a bailout guy or a number one weapon. Like, we are just talking about this with Doug Kide, like getting out there on the receiver market. This is Tom Brady, the best quarterback of all time. His numbers are all dipping like crazy when he doesn't have Rob Gronkowski. Think about how difficult it is for a guy like Mac Jones. Okay, on the Tom thing. So this thing unraveled in three years in Tampa Bay. Brady lost nine games this past season, most ever, and he was under 500 for the first time in his career. The last time Brady lost more than six games, you know when that was? 2002. I wasn't even in high school the last time Brady lost six games in a season, okay? He was 25, his first full season as a starter in the NFL after we replaced Brady or after we replaced Bloodsoe in 01. So think about all the things that have transpired in Tampa. After two years, they fired the head coach in Bruce Arians. Todd Bowles got the job, and then he sucked at the job. And then Byron Leftwich, after this past season, the offensive coordinator, got fired. And remember, Byron Leftwich was like up for head coaching jobs. Remember, he had this big issue in Jacksonville with the general manager there, and then it ends up going to Doug Peterson. But he had an issue with Trent Bolke. He didn't want to work there. Trent Bolke was going to be the guy running things there, and eventually Doug Peterson gets the job. But Byron Leftwich, in less than a year, has gone from a head coaching candidate across the NFL to a guy that was fired as the offensive coordinator. And it does kind of tell you how Brady elevates these guys like that he played with or that coached when Brady was playing. Like think about all the guys that got jobs over the years that came from the Patriots that they sucked. Well, maybe part of it was the Brady guy. Like look at what Byron left, which is after one year where Brady has a down season. But I go back to, you think about Bill held his end of the bargain with Tom basically until 2019. Right. So this thing in Tampa, it took three years for it to go to shit. And Tom Brady's going to be out of there with Belichick. It lasted 20 years. Right. And really until 19, he made it work. And if Brady like think about this, if Brady was on another deep playoff run with the Bucs, there would be no reason for him to leave for another organization. Right. Like if Brady was going to retire, that's something different. But if he was going to stay in the NFL, if he made a deep run with Tampa, he would go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. And with the Patriots, there was really never a reason for Tom to leave. There's already a reason for him to leave Tampa Bay. That team sucks right now. But if you look at the Patriots, so after the first dynasty, they have the 05 loss to Denver in the postseason. And then in 06, they lose to the Colts, that famous comeback from Peyton Manning. What does Bill do? He goes out and he grabs Randy Moss and he grabs Wes Welker to become like the number one, number two target for Tom Brady. And They have an incredible run in 07. We all know what happened at the end of the season. And then Brady tears his ACL in 08. But they have some bad defenses during that stretch. But even after the Moss thing sort of fizzles out, in 2010, he drafts Rob Gronkowski, the guy that we were just mentioning, an uncoverable force of nature. And then they have a juggernaut of an offense for the next decade or so. So there was really not a better place for Tom Brady to play football until Rob Gronkowski retired after the 2018 Super Bowl run for the Patriots, right? And the wheels in 19 fell off for Edelman, as he said in his retirement speech, right? So it took until 2019 where it really made sense for Tom Brady to leave the Patriots. It already makes sense for Tom Brady to leave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after three years. So as much as the end sucked from a Patriots perspective with Brady and Belichick, the divorce, et cetera, we should be grateful that we were not cheering for an incompetent organization that could only keep him for three years, right? where it doesn't make sense for Tom. If he's going to come back, why would he go back to Tampa Bay? There's nothing there for him anymore, right? 
And even if you think about it, like the one thing you got to give the Patriots credit for, and we'll see if the Chiefs are able to do it, right? Because the Chiefs, we know they're on this run where it's five straight AFC championship games. Right now they have one Super Bowl. That's it. One Super Bowl. The thing about the Patriots is they always cashed in. And you look at some of these other guys, these great elite quarterbacks that played at the same time as Tom. Peyton Manning won Super Bowl in Indy. Now he'd get one later in Denver, but the point being with the Colts, he only had one. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay only has one. So the Patriots had the unique ability because of their sense of game planning, right? Where they always had ideas and games. Like when you're down two touchdowns against the Baltimore Ravens, get the pass for Edelman, right? And so we saw it so many times, time after time again, where the Patriots cashed in. That's what separates them from other organizations. And when we look at back at the Brady-Belichick era, it does make me feel really grateful to see how it's ending in Tampa. Like, of course it sucks that Brady won a Super Bowl in a different uniform, but I do feel really good about the fact, and maybe this is just me being unfair to the Tampa Bay Bucks fans, but those guys got him for three years, and it got so bad, and their organization is such a joke that Tom Brady has no no use for playing for that organization anymore. All right, I do want to get to one Red Sox note because as we're doing the emergency Bill O'Brien podcast, we did get a trade from the Red Sox. So how about this? The Sox pick up middle infielder Alberto Mondesi for Josh Taylor. Now, Mondesi is coming off a torn ACL. We all know that Josh Taylor did not pitch last year due to the back problem. So the offensive number is not great for Mondesi in his career, who at one point, time was a really big time prospect in the Royals organization strikeout rates at 30.2 percent just to put the metric man hat on for a second here only three hitters were north of that last season so he's going to strike out a ton his career on base percentage is 280 only five qualified hitters were worse than that last season so sort of in terms of the hit and miss stuff we're kind of in Dahlback territory where Dahlback career on base percentage 283 as we said with Mondesi at 280 strikeout rate for Dahlback 33.4 percent with Mondesi it's at 30. 2% four home runs, or I should say 14 home runs are his career high. So he never really took off from a power perspective. Now, in terms of his defense, if you look at his outs above average baseball savants metric, past three seasons that he actually played enough games to qualify, 91st percentile, 96th percentile, and 88th percentile. So it does help you in terms of somebody that can spell Kike Hernandez or, of course, Arroyo as well. Now, two years ago, an interesting number, his hard hit rate was at 44.2%. That's a really good number. That's balls off the bat, 95 plus miles an hour. That was higher than Adam Duvall two years ago, and I love Duvall. Great signing and all that. 38 home runs two years ago, but he was making good contact two years ago, which hasn't been the case throughout his career. So maybe you can catch fire in terms of the hard hit rate this year. The one good thing, too, is, as we mentioned, the defensive numbers are pretty good. And the other thing that he has is he does have speed. So the past four years, he qualified in terms of baseball savants sprint speed, 98th percentile, 98th percentile, 98th percentile, and 85th percentile. So good defender, good speed. You like it from a depth perspective. What this means to me is you're not adding another piece. Kike Hernandez is going to be your everyday shortstop, and Christian Arroyo is going to be your everyday second baseman. So that's sort of how the lineup shakes out long-term in terms of this team. This is more of a depth piece than it is somebody that's going to step in and take major innings away. But he is somebody that can play defense, and he can run. So that certainly helps out. You're not going to get a ton from him offensively, but you don't expect that from a guy that's coming off your bench to be a middle infielder. You would expect that from a corner outfielder coming off your bench or a super utility guy, but not from a middle infielder. Now, the one other thing I would say is I mentioned the other day they may add a catcher. The other thing is now with Taylor, it appears that they're definitely going to add a lefty to that bullpen, right? Because if you look at it, Taylor two years ago 
146 opponents batting average against lefties. That was 13th in Major League Baseball, which is really good. He was their matchup lefty. Was not great against righties, of course, 327. But they never really had that matchup lefty last season because Deakman was just atrocious. So you didn't really have that guy at the back end of your bullpen that could get out lefties. And they really depended on Taylor a couple of years ago. And you look at the Red Sox in terms of their left-handed relievers last year, 21st in ERA at 435, 9.3% walk rate at 20th, and 124 whip, which was 20th as well. Now, the good news is Chris Martin's really good against lefties and righties, 234 against lefties, four-seamer really effective, 186 average against righties. Jansen is at 213 in terms of his numbers against, or I should say against lefties. Jansen's at 213 and Chris Martin is at 234. Schreiber's at 198 against lefties, although those numbers went up in the second half of the season due to him being worn down. Rodriguez, who you brought in, is actually better against righties than he is against lefties because he's got a nasty changeup. But if you look at it, the problem with Rodriguez, we mentioned this when the Red Sox signed him, he walks the ballpark, 12% walk rate. That was 137th out of 152 qualified relievers last season. So what this tells me is they looked at Josh Taylor and remember, he's still got a couple of years left, two years left of arbitration after this year in terms of his situation with the Red Sox. So it made you think they were going to keep the guy around. But when they trade a guy like Taylor to get a depth infielder in Mondesi, it tells me two things. First, as I mentioned, that they're going to get another left-hand reliever to that bullpen. But secondarily, the other thing this means is they don't believe in the health of Josh Taylor because Taylor was fucking nasty against lefties a couple of years ago. They don't believe the back is going to be something that is going to be all of a sudden good this season. I think that they're looking at Taylor and saying, hey, we don't think he's going to work out long term. This back issue was way more serious than we thought it was a year ago. He never really recovered last season, so they don't want to make a bet on Josh Taylor long term. That's what I think this is about more so than anything else. Okay, let's add a lefty that we're making a better bet on his health, and we'll add, in the meantime, when we get rid of Taylor, we'll add some depth to our infield. So I don't hate this at all, especially considering it must mean that they don't feel good about Josh Taylor's health. Now, if they felt good about Josh Taylor's health, okay, that's a totally different situation, but I think they're going to try to get a better left-handed reliever than Josh Taylor, one that's more dependable, and in the process, you get somebody that can eat up some innings at second or at shortstop. So I don't mind this move at all for the Sox. It's a small move, but I don't really mind it. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. 
today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 